Morning, church. That was a very, very interesting exercise this week, by the way. Um, mostly because, I mean, you'd think as, as the guy who's the preacher that it, it would be not very hard for me to just go up and randomly talk to people. Um, you may think that that's what I do to you all the time on Sunday morning. I don't know, but I'll tell you what. Um, I found myself, I, I got this idea and I thought it would be really good as we introduce this series. And then I almost talked myself out of it because I was, I was like, people are going to think that you're weird. They're going to be looking for your name tag that says of Latter-day Saints. I, you know, like, I don't know what they're going to, you know. And, and I was really, I, I had some really good insights from this, actually. One, one is there are a lot of people that do not want to talk to you downtown. And, and, I mean, it was, my opener was even just very, very simple. Excuse me, can I ask you a question? And it was like, get out of my face. You know, like, I mean, some people, some people were nice about it. They were just like, you know, some people you would say it and they wouldn't even make eye contact with you. They would just keep walking. And then I had a couple of people go, uh, no. And I went, God bless you and have a great day. You know, I mean, because that's all I knew to do at that point, right? But probably I, I was, I really, really enjoyed it, the, the, the couple that was, that was staying out in, in uh, Centennial Square. I'll tell you what, that, that interview, you only saw about, you know, a couple of segments of it because she totally stopped talking about what it meant to live generously and just started totally talking about her life. Like, I ended up spending, like, 15 minutes with them, which was really cool, and I really enjoyed that part. Um, there were a lot of people that, that didn't want to be on video, per se, but were really, really, um, really interested in talking about what they felt generosity meant to them, and some of, some of their answers were great. Um, one of the best answers I had, a guy named Edwin, who was a, uh, who's a, a, a uh, immigrant here from uh, Trinidad, um, in the Caribbean, and he talked about the different, about how he feels from his understandings how we confuse generosity and courtesy, or we, we, we confuse generosity with politeness a lot, and he's like, I, I don't really think we understand what generosity is very well. I had another guy who, who I stopped and asked, and he said, well, I, I don't think you can actually do generosity very well if you don't take time to stop and figure out what people really need. A lot of times people are trying to be generous, but they don't actually know what's going on. And I went, well, what do you need right now? And he said, actually, I really need to find a new backpack. And so I wandered around with him for about 20 minutes, and <laughs> we found him a backpack. Uh, you know, but it was, it was like, okay, cool, I can learn from that. Let's put that into practice. One of the biggest things that I took away from this exercise, though, of just going and asking people, what does it mean to you to live generously, is that the idea of generosity is often much bigger than we think it is. Do we define generosity just in terms of material things? I know that that may be what, what comes to our mind, but, but most of the responses that I saw didn't even have anything to do with money. It had to do with how do you approach life? How do you look at life? And, and through how you look at life, how do you respond? And I said, you know, I think Jesus would be very, very much in tune with that idea that, that generosity was more than making sure that you were tithing or making sure that you were giving a certain percentage or, or making, sure that, uh, making sure that you had your bases covered as far as Torah is concerned. Jesus would say that it has to drive deeper than that. And so as we start this series over the next few weeks talking about generous living, I want us to imagine generosity in a wider frame. 
We spent the last few weeks talking about Jesus' parables, about growth in the kingdom. And I hope that there's one thing that we've really hammered home in that series. It is that God is the ultimate source of growth in his kingdom. We pray in the Lord's Prayer that God's will would pervade our reality so much that earth and heaven start to look the same. And we pray that because he's the only one that could actually bring that about. So generous living first has to be rooted in a generous mindset, an expectation that the kingdom of heaven is actually the blueprint for the way things work rather than my limited understanding. I have to start there. And this is why we start generous living with understanding how to have generous expectations. I think a great example of this peculiar supernatural understanding of generosity is found in our reading today. See, there's really, there's something very significant about this story, I think, in that it's found in each of the four gospel accounts. There are a lot of stories that you find just situated in one of the accounts, but for some reason, every single one of the gospel authors thinks that this story of Jesus feeding the crowds is important for us, and they all have a different take on it. We touched recently on this story, actually, a few weeks ago. We were talking about Jesus handling busyness because this happens in the middle of a very, very long and extended and, and, and very, very emotionally taxing day for Jesus and for the disciples. But I want us to look at this story today in terms of the principles that Jesus, and by extension his father, live out in terms of generosity. And where I want to start is this phrase. You give them something to eat. Really? My first reaction when I read that, Jesus is very unreasonable at times. It's okay to chuckle at that, okay? It, it is. He is. And that's not, it's not blasphemy for me to say that, okay? I'm, if you all want to move back a couple of rows, just in case you're worried, that's fine. But... Jesus' wisdom defies conventional reason a lot of times. And this statement looks very unreasonable. Think about a similar situation here. What Jesus requests and suggests goes against my understanding. Your boss creates a situation of great demand, needing immense resources and a timely response, and as the people crowd forward and their need to be served, the boss turns to you and says, you handle it. I would not enjoy that situation. I would not be very excited about that at all. And so it's not, it's a small wonder that the disciples protest against this, right? Mark's account of the story has them frame it in the economic requirements. Jesus, to feed these people, we would need more than half a person's net annual income. In Matthew, the protest is based on the limits of what they've got. Okay, if we, if we pull everything together, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. And the reason that they're doing this is to try and show Jesus the futility of what he's asking. Okay, doesn't matter how they answer it, both responses can loosely be translated as, Rabbi, you're nuts. This is not going to work. The need is too great, and I have too little. It doesn't matter which one we focus on. It's not going to work. This doesn't add up. The math 
shows. And I think the disciples are experiencing what I call life in your face. You deal with it, I deal with it. It's that time when the unexpected and the urgent just keeps showing up. And we have trouble keeping up. I mean, consider the things that lead up to this part of the story. Jesus and his disciples are trying to get away. They've, they've been constantly engaged in this itinerant ministry. And, and by design, there's a lot of flex in that. You are constantly going. You are constantly moving around. You are teaching here or there. And you're, you're always waiting for the next interruption. Jesus is always getting taken off to heal this person or stop and attend to that need there, and and you are running to catch up with Jesus. And this is supposed to be an apprenticeship, right? That's, That's why Jesus as a teacher takes on disciples, and that's why they walk in his footsteps, because they're learning in the doing, and they're learning in the going. So somewhere in all of this rush of here and there, and Jesus is stopping to do this and heal that and teach there, you're supposed to be learning about how to be a teacher of the word of God through all this craziness. And that's exhausting enough, but then the tragedy of John the Baptist's cruel death hits. And all of them withdraw, the text says. And and perhaps that's just to be with their grief, uh, maybe to take stock and kind of compose themselves for the task of ministry that lies ahead. Because now that John's gone, it's just Jesus. Jesus. And as we already talked about a few weeks ago, now that John's gone, Jesus knows that the time has come to start setting his face toward Jerusalem. It's time to set his face toward the cross. And everything starts moving toward the cross at this point. There's only one problem. Nobody told the entire province of Galilee that they needed a leave of absence. And so when they see them taking off in the boat, they go, oh, we'll follow along. And again, I don't know if they take kind of a little pleasure cruise, if they're just kind of, you know, just going wherever on the Sea of Galilee. But somehow, somehow all of these people, they see where they're going, they know who they are, and so they hurry on ahead of them on foot from the towns and they meet them at where they're going to land. You pull the boat up, there they are. Oh, and when they say lots, Matthew means 5,000 head of household, by the way, okay? And, and you include the fact that they brought their families in with them, probably closer to 20,000 people is what we're talking about here, if, if you want to put a number on it. I can't imagine the scene exactly, but it would be like the church leadership here taking off for a retreat up at, like, the Honeymoon Bay Lodge and Resort, okay? Up at Cowichan, and having the entire municipality of Sanit show up. waiting for us when we get there, saying, hey, can you take care of us? We need teaching and healing. Surprise. Uh, Yeah, and sometimes life is like that. You need a moment to catch your breath, but the people and the situations just keep showing up with all of their attendant issues, with all of their needs, with all of their problems, and they they demand of us, deal with me. Deal with me. I I don't care how tired you are. I don't care how you feel right now. Here I am. What are you going to do with me? And that's where the disciples find themselves. And that is a really hard place to be generous. It is a really hard place to be generous when you already feel like you don't have a whole lot. 
And we've all been there. We've all been in that place where we feel like we don't have anything and more is being asked of us. And our natural reaction is not to be generous. Our natural reaction is to pull back. And this is where I think this lesson from the gospel really, really intersects our lives. If we're not careful, we read this story with an eye to the end. We, we skip to where Jesus' miraculous multiplication of the food is happening. We revel in the wonder of God's generosity. And that's great. That's good. That, that, is, that is Bible. That is truth. And we need that part. But you know what else we need? If we're not careful, we miss something just as critical for our understanding of the kingdom and our understanding for generous living. There's a profound truth that Jesus wants us to know. Five loaves and two fishes is enough. Why is it enough? Because it's what the disciples have. It's what they've got. And so it's enough. What is available versus what is needed looks very, very, very pitiful from the outside. It does. The disciples have got to know this as they bring the food to Jesus. And like I said, at least maybe it's partly an excuse for why this idea is not going to work. But let's be honest, at least they've got the guts to say, here's what we honestly have, Jesus. They don't try to make it more, they don't lie to themselves or, or lie to Jesus trying to make it sound like they've got more than they've got. And, ha- and how many times when we're being called to be people of God do we kind of fudge a little bit and try to say, well, no, I, I can handle this. I got more than I got. I have the resources to handle this. Reality, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. You've got to be honest about that. I mean, if, if you don't realize that you need to be filled, how will God fill you, right? You have to be honest about what you don't have. But then, a lot of, but then on the other hand, they could have just not responded. They could have not bothered to gather it up. They could have said, this will not work. We don't even need to go around scrounging up to see what we've got. This is just not going to work. They at least go and they take stock of what they do have. They are honest with themselves. They don't try to make more of themselves, and they don't try to make less of themselves. They just come honestly and openly and say, here's what we got. This is not going to work because this is all I have. And the miraculous happens. No, not the end part. We're not there yet, okay? The first miracle in this story happens right here where Jesus looks at the five loaves and he looks at the two fish and he says, yep, I can work with that. Let's start giving it away. Don't miss that miracle. Don't miss that miracle of God being able to look into what we've got and say, can work with that. Because if we don't start with that one, we don't get to the second one that everybody can see. We don't get to the miraculous multiplication. We don't get to the leftover baskets of overflowing bread. We don't get to that part if we don't get to the, if we don't see the first part where Jesus says, I can deal with that. I can work with that. I can work with you. The beginning of generous living has to start with us being generous in our expectations of ourselves. And I am not trying to, to put this forward in some, 
you know, smarmy, happy, Oprah-esque kind of way. I'm, I'm just being straight up and honest with you, okay? We need to learn to embrace our ability to do what we can do again. We either fall into the trap of trying to do it all and not letting God do any of it, or we fall into the trap of not actually muscling up and doing what we can do in the presence of God and allowing His Spirit to multiply it. There's a relationship there. There's a work between there. And how much of us are sitting back waiting for God to do something when he's saying, okay, I'm waiting for you to bring me what you've got. Don't just sit away. Just don't, don't sit around waiting for me to make something from nothing. What do you have that I can work with? Bring it to me and let me work with it. Or we aren't bringing it to Jesus and we're just trying to peel off little bits of what we've got. And going, I only have five loaves and two fish. Here, have this little pinch uh, there may be a calorie of food in there. Go. You know, and, and, we're, and we're stretching ourselves then trying to do that without actually bringing it to him and letting him use it. I'm not sure where that starts, but somewhere there's been a spiritual blindness that wells up inside of us. We begin to believe that faithful discipleship then is only for those of great spiritual genius or supernatural skill and ability. I don't know where that started. But I think it's taken us captive. And in our culture, we, we think that, that, that being generous is reserved for those who just have mounds and mounds of whatever it is to be generous with. And then there's the rest of us. And we're pretty much resigned to being exempt from that kind of living. Because we aren't those people. But that is not kingdom reality church it's not that is not the blueprint of the way things work in the kingdom it's interesting to me that in Matthew's account of Jesus ministry the story comes right after these seed parables that we've been reading about for the past few weeks Jesus has just finished telling a story about a guy who apparently flings the seed for his crops for the entire year, with this reckless abandon, loses about three-quarters of it. If he's archetypical of the typical Galilean farmer, it's not like he's got that much to begin with. After all the taxes, after all the tributes, and so it's something you would think that he would guard closely and that he would protect and that he would be very, very, very stingy about where he puts those seeds. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Instead, he goes ahead and he chucks the seed out real generously and trusts that the growth is going to happen. And that does not make sense from a reasonable standpoint. It is a very unreasonable parable. But it is the story of the kingdom of heaven, not human reason. Jesus did not start the parable with the way things work from our understanding is like a farmer sowing seed. He started out with the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he frames it in a completely different reality. And so this story is now coming to life as Jesus and the disciples get to be generous with their expectations. And, and Jesus is encouraging them to say, okay, remember, the kingdom of heaven works differently than your human reason. So now we're going to put this into practice. 
Will you imagine this in terms of my kingdom rather than your understanding? And will that lead you to live differently with different expectations of yourself and different expectations of me? See, because then, only then, do they get to experience that second miracle. That Jesus is not only able to take what little they have and make it usable, but he can both be generous to others with what they have to give and have more than enough left over to take care of us as well. All those basketfuls of food that the disciples pick up, right? At some point, they got to eat too. They get to pick up those basketfuls and they get to have some and they get to send some home with the folks and then there's even more left over and where, where else can we give this? I guarantee you in that society that food did not just sit around in the baskets, right? <laughs> but it was an immediate, tangible notion that even out of my weakness, even out of my limitations, even out of my little... God not only has enough to take care of me, but if I won't worry about taking care of me and I will start spreading out and taking care of others, he will take care of them and he will take care of me and there will be even more giving and more generosity that I never even knew about. And I'm not just talking about stuff here. You'll see, we're going to be talking about being generous with your time, being generous with your space, being generous with your grace. What does that look like? What does generous living look like in those terms? Not just your stuff. See, you can't out-generous Jesus. But you don't get to see the fruit of generous living if you aren't willing to first be generous enough with yourself to realize that what you have is worth giving. And even that little will be enough in the hands of your Christ. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, in all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. I don't like this quote. It used to mess with me a lot. I've seen it on many a plaque in a church or in a minister's office, and, and it used to mess with me quite a bit actually because even if you don't count the fact that people often mistakenly tie it to a spiritual giant like John Wesley it seems to elevate generosity to the point that it's unreachable I will never hit that elusive all see I think that's the biggest barrier that stands between us and the generous life because we think about we think that it is about some giant moral imperative that we will never be able to store up the reserves to give. And see, that actually makes it really, really safe because it's unattainable. It stays theoretical. It stays distant. It does not have to come in and intersect my life because it's this big, unattainable all. As long as ever you can. Well, I can't do that, so might as well not try. See, now I realize that the real point of that statement comes in the last part of each phrase. You can. As much as you can. 
as long as you can in the ways that you can in the places that you can see Jesus is not looking for supernatural generosity from you and I that is his job in the story and to confuse that is to lose sight of what generous living is what Jesus is expecting and what generous, generous living for us really is, is to offer what we can. To offer all that we can. To honestly say, this is what I have. I don't know what you can do with it, but this is what I have. I'm not going to try and make it more than it is. I'm not going to lie to myself and you. But I'm also not going to withhold it from you because I think that it's not enough. Or I think the need is too great and my resources are too little. Here, here's. You've got what I can. See, Jesus looks at you and I as citizens of the kingdom and looks at you and I as people designed for generous living and merely asks the question, what have you got today? What have you got today? We can all want more time. We can all want more resources. We can all want more money or more ability or more whatever so that we have enough left over to be generous. But let's be honest, that's pipe dream. As a comfortable means of continuing to clutch our seeds tightly and hoarding them up for ourselves rather than a true plea for greater generosity in our lives. It's not the way God designed us. The truth is, is that what we have is what we have. And that's what Jesus is really looking for. Some days we got a lot. Some days we don't have much. But on any given day, the real question is, Will we be generous enough with ourselves to accept that what we can give matters? And will we be generous enough with God to give him what we have instead of holding back? So what do you have today, church? What do you have today? Where is Jesus looking into your life saying, that, that right there, that right there, I can work with that. Let's start giving it away. As we spend the next few weeks highlighting the generous life of God and how we can imitate it, you may find out that you've got more than you think you did. But even if you don't, the invitation's still the same. You and I are invited to be a part of the great mystery of faith. And one of the pieces of that great mystery of faith is the part where we get to share what we have. And in the hands of Jesus, it is transformed into more than we could ever imagine. We're going to highlight this more as we come to the table together, but there was a, there's another part where Jesus takes some really, really simple things, you know, a loaf of bread and a glass of, of, of wine, of the fruit of the vine. And he takes it, and in his hands, it becomes a whole lot more than it ever was before. 
And we're getting ready to come to the table now. And I want you to consider that. See, because that's where generous living begins, is where our lives become those things in the hands of Christ. Whatever it is that we've got to give. And in the hands of Jesus, they become transformed into more than we could ever imagine. So let us come to him now as we worship, as we come to the table. And let us let him receive our offering. Knowing that he can make us generous people and knowing that we cannot out-generous his generosity because he is faithful, because he is the Lord.